storm surrounding me, let it break at your name still. Call the sea to still, the rage of me to still, every wave at your name, Jesus, Jesus, you darkness tremble Jesus, Jesus you silence fear Jesus, Jesus you make the darkness tremble Jesus, Jesus breathe call these bones to live and call these lungs once again, I will praise Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. You silence fear, Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, shadows can't deny your name cannot be overcome your name is alive forever lifted high your name cannot be overcome your name is alive that the shadows can't deny your name cannot be overcome your name is alive forever lifted high your name cannot be overcome Jesus Jesus you Jesus, Jesus, you made the darkness tremble. 
Father, we humbly bow in awe of you today with all of our spirit, and how I pray, God, that you will take this time in the next few minutes and continue our spirit of worship by taking us deep into a deeper level of trust in you, maybe than we've ever had before. God, thank you that you are trustworthy. Thank you that you love us beyond any measure of love that we could even calculate. And as you reveal that love to us through your word today, God, give us a trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to open your Bible with me again today to Mark chapter 4 as we continue our journey through the the, the Gospel of Mark. Without authority, 
structures fall apart. Um, that's true with the very basic things of life like the human body and property boundaries and government structures and church systems and especially with nature. Uh, in a healthy home, authority rests with the father in the home. In government, authority rests with those who govern us and who protect us. Uh, in schools, authority rests with boards and principals and leaders like that. In, in business, uh, authority rests with owners or boards or stockholders and so. In every dimension of life, no exceptions, Things flow best under authorities. Structures are people who have privilege and power and permission to set rules and boundaries and determine judgments and even enforce judicial verdicts. The word authority is an interesting word. It's a very strong word filled with meaning. When we hear the word authority, uh, there's a certain force behind that word. There may even be a certain intimidation in that word. It carries with it a sense of respect, maybe a sense of awe, maybe even a sense of fear. The word authority uh, denotes permission. It denotes privilege. It denotes power. It denotes rule. It denotes control. It denotes influence. You, you get the idea. What, what someone, when someone has authority, uh, that means that they are on top of the structures and the people, that they have responsibility to lead, and sometimes that's even beyond the normal. So as we dig deep into this Gospel of Mark and continue our journey through Mark and look today at, at one story, one specific story in verses 35 to 41. I want you to look for the greatest authority in and beyond all of creation. You follow along with me. This is a narrative. It's a story. So you follow along with me as the words will be on the screen as we read Mark 4, beginning with verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? May God add his blessings to 
the reading of this portion of his word. So there's a no greater authority, no higher authority in life than Jesus. There are three reasons for that, and we see these three reasons in this passage. So keep it open and follow along with me as we track back through this story and look for those reasons why the authority of Jesus is higher than any other authority in the earth. First, first of all, the authority of Jesus is compelling. We see that in verses 35 and 36, where the scripture says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. The, the end of Mark chapter 3 and the first part of Mark chapter 4 that we've looked at over the last two or three weeks have introduced us to one day in the life of Jesus. One single day in the life of Jesus. And that day included the uh, accusation that the authority of Jesus was coming from him being in league with Satan. And Jesus had refuted that. His authority was questioned by <clears throat> the religious leaders of his day. His authority was even questioned by his own family. He had shared parables that we looked at last week where he explained life in somewhat of a paradoxical way. And then he shared with his disciples who were on the boat with him just off the shore of the Sea of Galilee a special interpretation, a special meaning of each one of those parables. So it was getting dark. And as darkness approached, he looked at his disciples who were there with him in this fishing boat, and he said to them, let's pull up anchor and move to the other side of the shore. Jesus knew that he needed rest. He knew that if he went to the shore, the crowds of people who were there would continue to gather around him and want to have people healed and want to have people uh, given special knowledge that could only come from Jesus. And so in order to get some rest, he told his disciples, let's pull up anchor and let's move off to the other side of the shore. So here's our first lesson for today. When Jesus spoke, his disciples listened to him and they obeyed him. What about you and me? When, when life presses in on us, are we close enough to Jesus to hear him speak to us? Are we, are we allowing him to be in life's boat with us? And then when he speaks, are we willing to obey? Are we willing to immediately do exactly what he tells us to do? Life is filled with choices, right? I mean, every moment of every day you have a choice. You have a choice right now of whether you're going to listen to God as He speaks in this time of worship, or you think about something else that's going on out in the world. You think about some other care that's pulling at you. You think of some other thing that you just, you know, kind of zone out in here. You have a choice to make of whether you're going to listen to Jesus or not this morning. And my prayer for you is that you will be like the disciples. They heard Jesus not only from the day's activities, the work that they had done that day, they had heard Jesus in all that he said, 
But when he spoke and told them to pull up anchor and move to the other side of the shore, they were willing to withdraw and, and get some rest. See, in order to obey Jesus, you and I must learn to listen to him. We must learn to prioritize the authority of his voice over every other voice that's calling at us in the world around us. And when Jesus says, for example, to these disciples, leave the crowd. See, it would have been very uh, tempting for them to stay with the crowd. I mean, there's some kind of energy in crowds of people listening to what you say and, and watching what you're doing. Sometimes there's great excitement in the crowd. But Jesus told these disciples to leave the crowd behind, to leave where they were, and they immediately obeyed him. Sometimes Jesus calls us to leave the crowd, even if that means standing alone. You know, we have voices pulling at us in the world the priorities that the world may set for us, the agenda the world may set for us. And when Jesus calls us to leave those voices, to leave that crowd of people and follow him, are we willing to listen? In Acts chapter 8, the Bible tells us this is after Jesus had gone to the cross and died and after his resurrection and Pentecost had happened and Thousands and thousands and thousands of people were coming to know Jesus and to follow Jesus and become believers in Jesus. And there was a, there was a deacon, a layman in the church who had been set aside to serve tables and so forth, Philip. And Philip was sharing Jesus with hundreds and hundreds of people, if not thousands of people in the area of Samaria. And the, the voice with which he was speaking was the voice of the power of God, and it was attracting people to come to Jesus and, and believe in Jesus. And God's voice spoke to Philip and said, Philip, I want you to leave the crowd. I want you to go to the desert. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 8 that even though there was a popular appeal to what, Peter, what, what Philip was doing, even though people were coming to Jesus in throngs, Philip listened to the voice of Jesus and he left the crowd and he went on that desert road toward Gaza. And in Acts chapter 8, the Bible tells us that there was one man that God's Spirit was speaking to about coming to know Jesus. He was reading from the book of Isaiah and he needed an interpreter. And because Philip was willing to leave the popularity of the crowds of people who were around him and go to the desert and share with one person, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 8 that the Ethiopian leader trusted Jesus. His whole life was changed. And a whole section of the world then became introduced to Jesus because Philip was willing to obey the voice of God. See, it's critical, critical to stay close enough to Jesus that you hear his voice when he calls. And then it's even more critical to obey him when he speaks. And when he commands you even to move away from popularity, to move away from the crowd, to move alone because he has a special purpose for you.
and obey immediately. So look at what the disciples did. Look at what his closest followers did. They obeyed immediately. And leaving the crowd, verse 36, they took him with them in a boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. See, everywhere Jesus went, people were watching. People were following. <laughs> Even when he got in a boat and he pushed offshore, Mark shares with us that there were other boats that pushed off to follow along with them. I mean, the crowds of people continued to, to follow Jesus. And when they pushed offshore, this was no exception. Most likely, Simon Peter was captaining this boat. He was a fisherman, and most likely, Jesus and his disciples were standing in the, in the boat that Simon had fished off of many times with the crowd gathered along the shore. And so when he pushed off, captaining the boat, he had a special insight that Mark, being his secretary, recorded here in Mark that is not recorded in Matthew and Luke when they tell this story. But I think it's significant that the crowds were following. Others were observing where Jesus traveled. Now here's my point. Are you aware that when you walk with Jesus, when you know Him and when you're willing to trust your life to Him, that other people are watching you, other people are following to see how you are going to act, to see how you are going to react in your relationship with Jesus, especially in the rough spots of life. Especially when crisis times pop up in your life. People are looking to see, well, now, what's your faith going to be like in Jesus when hard times happen, when rough times happen? These disciples were going to learn a lesson this day that was going to carry them throughout the rest of their life. And I challenge you to be conscious of how other people are watching you as you stay close to Jesus. Be aware that your relationship with Jesus is not to be isolated. Others are watching, especially when life gets crazy. In the course of a normal day, family and friends and work associates and fellow students and neighbors and even strangers are watching you. When it's obvious that Jesus is with you, people are going to be watching. They have their eyes on you. And many are even following to see how you are going to react in the normal times of life, but especially in the challenging times of life. So here's the point. Be conscious of who's watching. Because the authority of Jesus is compelling. If you stand up for Jesus and honor Jesus in the tough times of life, other people are going to see that. And be compelled to be drawn to Jesus just like you're compelled to be drawn to Jesus. Secondly, the authority of Jesus is not only compelling, it's constant. We see that in verse 37. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Now, I shared earlier in our study in the book of Mark that the Sea of Galilee is a very unique creation of God. It's 13 miles long and 7 miles wide. 
It's 150 feet deep, but it's 680 feet below sea level. So, being surrounded by mountains, totally surrounded by mountains, when a downdraft from a thunderstorm sets in, waves can pop up in the Sea of Galilee that are taller than the roof of this building. I mean, 20 feet high waves are not unusual to pop up in one of those midday th thunderstorms. Some of us have been to the Sea of Galilee and we've been out on these little boats that go out and, you know, talk about what, what happened in the life of Jesus uh, on the Sea of Galilee. Before they leave, they always let us know that there are life jackets around. So if one of these storms pop up, pops up, we can be safe and feel safe because that's kind of a normal thing during the day for storms to pop up like that in the Sea of Galilee. One of these storms popped up and it looked like the boat was going to go under. The Bible tells us that the boat was already filling with water. Jesus was exhausted from a day's work along with the disciples. And Jesus was sound asleep. <laughs> he was sound asleep in the boat. Now remember the, the circumstances here. The disciples had been busy all day long as well, but when the storm popped up, I mean, they were terrified. They let their natural emotions kick into full speed. They had needed rest, but in the middle of the storm, they panicked. Now, Jesus was fully human. Mark makes that really clear, and you're going to see he's going to continue to make that clear as we move through, the, through this little book of Mark. Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully human. That's what makes him so unique. There's no one like Jesus. Fully God, fully human. In his humanity, this day's work had totally exhausted him. We could only imagine how tired he was from the encounters that he had had with all the experiences of the day. You're like that. When, when you work through uh, an emotional day as well as a physically hard-working day, you get tired. You get tired. And so Jesus was sound asleep, but the, the violent wind was throwing those 20-foot waves up in the air. Imagine the mist just flying all over the boat. Imagine the panic of those, those 12 disciples running around on the boat thinking they're going to die. They didn't have bilge pumps back then. And so, you know, they were probably uh, shoveling the water out of the boat as fast as they could. And in all of that excitement, Jesus was sound asleep in the boat. Here's another principle here. Problems are going to occur in every area of our life. When we least expect it, problems are going to come crashing into our life. In the life of a believer, there are probably going to be more problems than if you're not a believer. I mean, becoming a believer doesn't excuse us from problems. So how do you handle the storms of life. How do you respond to the stress that storms create? The disciples panicked. How do you remain resilient when the very foundations of life are at the verge of crumbling? 
Earlier this month, Gail sang at the graveside service of her nephew's wife. Becky was 46 years old. And Becky is a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And her six-month battle with cancer revealed her true faith. The very day that Becky died, Gail and I were privileged to talk to her by way of Skype. And I can tell you, honest to God, there was no fear in her eyes whatsoever. You know why? Because she knew Jesus. And she knew that to be absent from the body in this life for a believer is to be present with the Lord. And I'm not saying to you that there was a, a sense of excitement in her eyes. I know it was in her heart. But she knew Jesus. The constant love of Jesus held her through her six-month battle with cancer. But that same love of Jesus continued with her as she passed from this life into eternity. And that can be true for you as well. Verse 38 says, But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? You can't read that verse without feeling the panic in the lives of these disciples. And you can't blame them. I would probably feel the same way. I'd probably feel the same kind of panic. I would hope that my response would be different, but the emotion, the feeling would, would have to be the same. These closest followers of Jesus finally realized they needed to go to Jesus. So they went to him, they woke him up. And they expressed the emotion that was in their heart. But they actually criticized Jesus. Do you see it? Teacher, do you care that we are perishing? God, why are you letting this happen to us? God, why don't you do something so I won't have to go through this? God, why did you take this person that I love? I mean, that's the normal human expression to a panic-driven crisis situation. But I want to tell you something today. There's a big difference in crying out to God for help and crying out to God in defiance. Big difference. These disciples had seen Jesus do incredible miracles. And if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, He's done an even bigger miracle in your life. He saved you from an eternity in hell. It doesn't get any bigger than that. That's the crisis of all crises. And you've seen Jesus heal you from that. You've seen Jesus rescue you from that. Like these disciples, you've seen incredible miracles. But in their time of need, they fell into despair rather than falling into the arms of Jesus in faith. Don't make that same mistake. Please, don't make that mistake. 
in observing the authority of Jesus over nature, they had to learn a big lesson. See, Jesus knew that just a few years down the road, they were going to face an even bigger test. And he was going to go to the cross, and he was going to die, and he was going to be resurrected, and it was going to be in their hands to carry on the story that you and I needed to hear today, 2,000 years later. And they learned their lesson well that day. They learned where their trust could be placed. But in the moment, they cried out, Teacher, do you care that we are perishing? They thought they were going to die. And the truth is, you are going to die. Just like Eventually they did. But Jesus taught us that day how to trust him even through death. These disciples were in the middle of a crisis. But they were not only in the middle of a crisis, they were in the middle of a lesson that every single one of us needs to learn. Jesus never leaves nor forsakes those who are in his care. And that's a lesson you can take to eternity. That's a lesson you can take not only in this life, but take when you, like Becky, pass on into eternity. So please don't miss that lesson. This word, we are perishing, is a big word in the gospel. In John chapter 3 and verse 16, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You don't have to perish. <laughs> You can live eternally with Jesus. John, the writer of this gospel, was in the boat that day. He learned the lesson well. In John chapter 10 and verse 28, he said, I give them eternal life. Jesus said, they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. The message of Jesus is compelling. It's also constant. You never leave Jesus once you come to know him. And he's with you to take you from life as we know it on this earth to life in eternity. The captain of the boat that day, Simon Peter, said and wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. So here's the question. Do you know him? Have you come to the point where you've given him your life so you know for a fact that his constant love is with you and you will never perish? Passing from this life is just like a limousine. The door of death is just a limousine taking you from this life into eternity. When you know Jesus, you will never perish. No one who repents 
and trust the constant care of Jesus will ever perish. Is that you? I trust that it is. I trust that you have come to that point in your life where you have repented of your sin, where you realize that your sin separates you from God and the only way to get back to God is through the bridge created in Jesus that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you, you admit that you're a sinner and you believe that Jesus came to this earth, God-man and God in the flesh, and He sacrificed His blood to pay the price for the penalty of your sin so you can not perish but have everlasting life. Have you made that commitment of your life to Jesus? If not, do it right now. Trust Him now so that you will not perish. Becky made that commitment of her life to Jesus and she'll never perish. And I trust you are in the same boat with her and that Jesus is in your boat. The authority of Jesus is constant. So make sure that you are trusting Him today. Not only is the authority of Jesus compelling and constant, but finally, the authority of Jesus is comforting. We see that in verses 39 to 41. Verse 39 says, And He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. You know something interesting about this little story in the life of Jesus? Storm was going on. The waves were crashing in around the boat. The disciples were scurrying around. The disciples were, finally ran to Jesus and shook Jesus, cried out to Jesus, says, Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? And the first thing that Jesus did when he awoke wasn't to respond to the men. He didn't respond to them. He spoke to the sea. He spoke to the wind. And he said to the wind and the sea, Peace be still. And the Bible tells us there was a great calm. The storm was out of control. The fear of these closest followers of Jesus was out of control. But Jesus was never out of control. And he never will be. There is nothing that can happen in your life that Jesus cannot be in control of when you trust Him, when you obey Him, when you put your faith totally in Him. The authority of Jesus, His authority is always comforting. That word comfort means with strength. And when your life is in Jesus, when He's in your boat... <laughs> with you, then you have nothing to fear. His strength is your strength. I grew up on the Gulf Coast for 17 years, and I've lived here at the beach for 37 years. I know what it's like to weather storms. And calms after storms can be incredible teaching moments. And that's what this was in the life of these disciples. And I pray that's what it will be in your life and my life today. See, peace be still 
is a command that we want to hear from Jesus. Peace be still is what we want to hear when we face every crisis that we face in life, every storm that comes at us in life. And the authority in the words of Jesus is available for you today just like it was with the disciples on this day when this storm popped up. When, when a ferocious storm threatens your health or your family or your business or your educational arenas or your political arenas, you have a choice. And your choice is to either complain and criticize God or to trust Him and ask Him for help. Those are the two choices. My prayer for us today is that we will dial in and hear God speaking to us like never before to trust Him. And when we trust Him, we know that we're going to be strengthened. We're going to be comforted. We're going to be cared for. We're going to be loved. So Jesus said to them, he cried out to his disciples, or he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Have, have you still no faith? See, these disciples had seen Jesus work miracles. They had seen him heal sick people. They had seen him cast out demons. They had heard him teach like no teacher had ever taught before. But they had not yet realized that he had authority even over nature. And they needed to learn that lesson. They had not accepted the fact that he was not only the Son of Man, fully man, but he was also the Son of God, fully God. And they had a choice to learn the lesson that day, and guess what? They learned it well. Jesus responded to them by turning the issue to an issue of the heart. He asked them, do you still have no faith? See, faith is a heart issue, a heart issue. And today, if you're waffling over trusting Jesus or not trusting Jesus, if you're waffling over putting your faith and trust in the world, I hope not, or putting your faith and trust in Jesus, it's a heart issue. Jesus is appealing to you today, just like he was his disciples, to give your heart and trust totally to him. The disciples panicked because the storm threatened to kill them. And Jesus seemed unaware. He seemed, you know, unconcerned. But the disciples underestimated Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Do you underestimate Jesus today? Do you feel like, maybe number one, you don't need Him? I hope not. I pray not. Do you feel like, you know, like a two or three-year-old, that you can handle it yourself. I can do this myself. I don't need God in my life. I hope not. I pray not. When the storms come at us from all directions and cause great anxiety in our life, 
Do you hear Jesus saying to you, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? He offers you faith in Him. You may not agree with me, but I believe that fear is the number one natural killer of lives in our world today. Fear. Fear can be a great emotion, especially in times of danger. Uh, it can keep you from making decisions that are crazy, destructive decisions. Uh, dis diseases like smallpox and polio and leprosy, you know, have all but been eradicated from this, this planet because people feared the outcome of those diseases and used their God-given abilities to discover God-given cures for and preventions from those kinds of illnesses. So fear can be a good thing. It can be a really good thing. But I want us to understand today that faith is only as valid as the source that you're trusting. Jesus created all things. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, He was there in the beginning, God. In John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, that's Jesus, and the Word was God. The same Jesus was in the beginning with God. He created everything. He created you. And He's trustworthy. You put your faith in Him, and you've got a protector, you've got a preventor that paralyzes even fear. And I want to challenge you today to put your faith and keep your trust in Jesus. Faith is not only valid as a source you're trusting, but as the creator of all things, faith is the motivation behind you making it through everything that causes fear in your life. And, and, and not just making it through, but making it through victoriously. Jesus can be trusted over every cause of every crisis that could ever occur in your life. So make sure you're trusting Him today. Remember, where, where God guides, God provides. And He will take you through every storm that comes your way today. It was like the, over, the, the fear that was in the disciples that day was like the overcoming fear in, in Psalm 89, 8 and 9, where the Bible says, O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. The Bible says in verse 41, they were filled with great fear. Now that's a different kind of fear than the cowardly fear that Jesus challenged the disciples in the previous verse. They were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see the difference? There's the difference in a cowardly kind of fear and a fear that creates a spirit of awe and reverence and respect. 
It was like the overcoming fear in Psalm 104, verses 5 to 7. He set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. This all kind of fear that the disciples felt when they realized who Jesus was, that he was the comforting power of God, is like the overcoming fear in Psalm 106.9 where the Bible says he rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry. And he led them through the deep as through a desert. This kind of fear was like the overcoming fear in Psalm 107, verse 29, where the Bible says, He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. See, when the disciples of Jesus realized that they were in the presence of the living God, they fell on their face in awe. Every Sunday we gather here to worship. And our prayer is, as we approach every Sunday, our prayer is that there will be such a spirit of awe in the presence of God's people gathered corporately together that we truly fear Him with reverential fear, with awe, with respect. We understand who He is. We understand whose presence we're in. It's the presence of the God that has the power to transform a life like mine and like yours. And that's why we worship Him in awe. Jesus knew the value of reverence, and He also knew that when the elements of nature obeyed Jesus, that that same compelling, constant, comforting power can be yours and mine as well. We trust Him, and because we trust Him, we obey Him. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all who, are labor, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you here today needing rest? Jesus says, Peace, be still, when you're willing to put your life in His life. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, cast all your anxieties on Jesus because He cares for you. Do you know He cares for you today? Are you willing to put your life in His boat and put Him in the boat of your life and cast all your cares upon Him? He loves you. He cares for you. There is no burden, there is no hurt, there is no fear, there is nothing too big that Jesus can't bear. So, follow His command and put Him in the boat of your life today so that no storm can challenge you. By way of application today, there are three things that I want you to just let be drilled into your life this week. Because storms are going to come. You're going to face crises, maybe even today, maybe even this week. The first thing I want you to know is that you can trust the authority of Jesus in the middle of a storm for peace. 
He'll give it. Second thing is this. You can trust Jesus in the middle of a storm for power. And the third thing is this. You can trust Jesus in the middle of a storm for perseverance. When you come to that place in your life where you feel like you can't take another step, and you know that you've trusted Jesus, you've obeyed Him, you're living a life that's devoted to Him, know that He's there. And if you can't take another step, He'll pick you up and He'll carry you. He's that strong. He's that powerful. So don't miss the opportunity to put your trust in Jesus today. Because He is the authority of all authorities. Know Him. Trust Him. Obey Him. And be willing to share Him today. Father, I thank You today for Jesus. I thank You that You have built a life within us that is made for You to be in our life. You created us to have relationship with us. And God, how I pray today that we will claim that great commission and that great command that You gave us when You said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me Go therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God, give us that kind of faith today. Help us to trust you like we've never trusted you before. And then help us to be willing to share that both in our worship and in our world. In Jesus' name now we continue to worship. Amen. Let's stand together and continue to worship.